just to make sure your last name is pronounced Abermashan. 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 Make it more Chicago, less ethnic. Abermashan. There you go. This is Inez. And this is Cappy. And we are XX Will Travel, the podcast for independent women travelers. <laughs> uh, today we have a really special guest, Mona Abermashan. Yay! Yay! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Mona has performed, emceed, and produced comedy shows, competitions, and events in major clubs, theaters, and universities around the world. In addition to comedy, Mona is a sought-after speaker in various sociopolitical topics in the U.S. and the Middle East. She has a master's in international development and is fluent in English, German, and Arabic. She's lived and performed in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, and Mona also uses her global insights and perspectives, as well as her homegrown Chicago style, to offer a fresh look at the funny that's all around us. Recently, she headlined Comedy Central Arabia's latest season two premiere, stand-up Al-Wagif, filmed on location in Dubai, and she was the first female to headline this groundbreaking series produced by Viacom. She's been pretty much everywhere, featured on Chicago's number one daytime talk show, Windy City Live. She also uh, hosts a comedy bowl in Chicago, Funny Fridays at the Tamale Hut, as well as the first ever Arab-American comedy showcase called the Southside Comedy Show. So she runs... Classes, workshops, she's an all-around badass, and she's here to talk to us about traveling as a woman comedian. Yay. 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 Welcome, Mona. Thank you. Uh, all right, so my first question is, you have a master's in international development, and you're fluent in three languages. How did you come to comedy? How did I become a comedian? So how I became a comedian is I had kind of a come-to-Jesus meeting with myself when I was turning 29. And I realized that either, because I was working, I was finishing up my master's in terms of the actual thesis part, and I was working for a commercial real estate firm. And the only reason why I was working for that firm is because it was tied to international development, and I just felt stuck. And I, I thought either I pack everything up and I go somewhere in Africa or the Middle East where my thesis is actually about and work in urban planning and uh, development, or I just change gears and try something I've always wanted to try. And, and at the same time, my family, especially my mother, had been pushing at me about comedy. Do Second City. You're really funny. You have all these accents. Just do it. Do it. <laughs> it's like they were bullying me into something. And so at that moment, I said, okay, let's just screw it. And so I took a stand-up comedy class. I hated the class. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the only one that ever says that. I hated the class, and I don't think they're really that great in terms of serving uh, comedians. But we'll talk about that later if you want. Mm -hmm. But the first time I performed... It was as if, you know when you're like, you're craving something and then you finally get it and it's perfect? Like, oh my God, the, the bread at Maggiano's with the, with the olive oil mm -hmm. and the Parmesan cheese. Like sometimes I'm just craving it and when it hits my mouth, I'm like, yes. <laughs> Me doing stand-up in front of an audience of people all, from all over Chicago and, and um, making them laugh, making a bunch of strangers laugh. It was like, yes, it felt, it felt so right. I'm like, this is it. Because I was able to use my intelligence, my ability to connect with people and speak about a powerful topic, but in a lighthearted way. I mean, I grew up 
with such a heavy conversation of being Palestinian mm -hmm. and Muslim and a woman and uh, right <laughs> and American and all this stuff that everything always felt like marching, marching, this, protesting, that, that. But when it came to comedy, I could say what I needed to say, but people left feeling touched, moved, and inspired, or they felt happy, or they laughed. So once I was like, that's it. 2015, middle of 2015 is when I went comedy full-time. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I was doing everything I could to kind of shift my life so that I could be a full-time comic. Does that answer the question? Yeah, <laughs> and more. Yeah. How did you start traveling as a comedian? Do you remember the first uh, tours, if you want to call them that way, yeah. that you did? So the, the way it kind of works for a new comic is if you're given an opportunity, you're given an opportunity from somebody who saw you maybe in Chicago. And I applied for, it was called the New York Arab Comedy Festival. And I applied for and I got in and it was like new faces. Mm -hmm. And it was at Gotham Theater in New York. So that was the first time I ever did stand up outside Chicago. So that was the first time I ever traveled for it. And I, and I loved it. And I was like, more of this, please. And then just gradually. So like if um, I did a show in DC and then one of the guys in DC was like, Hey, I'm producing something in San Francisco. Would you come out? Yeah. I go out and that's the whole point. You got to kill. Mm -hmm. So, cause in San Francisco, they're just trusting the faith of the guy from DC. You got to deliver. And so then since then I created a powerful relationship with my folks in, in San Francisco where they kept calling me back and, you know, and then like it happens in Detroit. I go to Dearborn and Detroit frequently because of an opportunity I kill and they're like, Oh, we got to bring her back. So it's kind of like that. That's really how the ball starts rolling then on um, it doesn't really start with tours. It's kind of like these one-off opportunities. Mm -hmm. So it's just a lot of networking and yes. having good stuff and, and yeah, yeah, killing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uncomfortable and awkward question, but yes. I, I am curious. Would you be paid to go to these places, or is it all like you... It's kind of an investment you yourself made in your career. So, yeah, sometimes it's a lot... Actually, a lot of it. It's I, I've seen my relationship to comedy as having taken on another master's program. San Francisco referenced, uh, referred to me by DC that was paid, but just a little, the opportunity in New York wasn't, you know, like, and we travel and spend money and time for like eight minutes of stage time mm -hmm. or five minutes of stage time. Like when I went to Dubai, that was almost 8,000 miles for two seven minute sets. So 14 minutes, literally I went all that way just for 14 minutes of stage time. And sometimes they pay and sometimes they don't, but yeah. really it's like, it, it's an investment in a accessing a new marketplace. Mm -hmm. So that's really how I see it. And also what being able, the most beautiful part about traveling for stand-up, this is the most powerful part, is that you get to test the validity of a joke from all different angles. So like I remember when I first started stand-up, I had this one joke and in it, one of the tags was about a, a cab driver and it hits in New York, it hits in Chicago, but it snoozed in LA. That no. was before, <laughs> right? It, but because not, people don't use cabs in LA. Huh. So it never it never really hit right. So that was the best part about traveling for, for I get to see how a joke like how awesome it is from all sides. And then for me when it when it comes to taking and having to take it onto TV or record it, it's those gems that you, I want to be able to just give out because it'll hit everyone. And also that's why there's a lot of uh, criticism for for comedians like yeah I've heard your joke before. Well, you may have heard it here but you didn't hear it there and I'm trying to test the joke from all different angles and when a comedian has to create a whole new album, it's a lot of work like that where you're taking this one little bit and you've got to test it everywhere to see if it hits in different angles. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're on a comedy tour. What's the longest you've toured? Like have you done like multi-city stuff or 
No. Actually, no. Uh, well, yes. The, the, two, the two tours that I did in Palestine, that was the longest because I always tack on a week in London on each side because I worked the London market a lot. So then you have a week on each side, and then you had I had one really dense week of touring within Palestine. So that kind of turned into a three-and-a-half-week tour, some of my own creation, but some of it was me you know, traveling through the West Bank and doing shows within, within there. Mm-hmm. Wow. So not as long as a lot of other people. Sometimes comics are on, on the road for, like, years. How did that Palestine tour come about? Maybe I should back up a little bit. I, I grew up in Chicago as a Palestinian American. So I'm half British, half Palestinian. And with that dynamic, my parents felt it was important to send their kids to Palestine every summer. So the first time I ever traveled was when I was 13 in order to get acclimated to what it's like to have a dual identity. And that's something I would really encourage all dual identity mixed kids in the city or in Chicago across the country. That way you have a good balance of who you actually are, right? So having spent that much, that much time, I was pretty comfortable with Palestine. So a lot of my sets that if I ever performed for Palestinians or Arabs, it came from a, a place of knowledge and experience. Inside jokes, you know, little tags, which is invaluable. So all the comedians in the city of Chicago that perform and can perform in multiple languages, it's a, it's a real huge asset, and it's, I think, a skill set that's not very appreciated in Chicago yeah, if you can perform sure. in both, both languages. Because you have to know insights and little, like... Uh, idiosyncrasies and inside jokes and stuff like that. Anyway, so with that being said, I've I've become comfortable and kind of become known as a, one of the only few Palestinian female comedians in the States. And so somebody, uh, a guy by the name of Amr Zahar, who has perfor- he'd performed maybe eight years prior to me starting stand-up, um, I had reached out to him. I said, man, I really like what you're doing. You're so cool, blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, if I ever come in town, because he lives in Dearborn, I'll reach out to you. He reached out to me in 2010. And since then, I've created a powerful relationship with him. I, I go to Dearborn a lot, blah, blah, blah. And it was him that had created the relationship with the U.S. consulate in Jerusalem mm-hmm. and, and pitched to them, I see that you do a lot of um, cross-cultural like liaison events between Americans and Palestinians, and you're bringing in film and dance. Why don't you bring in stand-up? Because there's a lot of Palestinian-American comedians, and stand-up is an American thing. But there's versions of comedy in the Arab world. This is a perfect idea, and the U.S. consulate was like right on. So they funded the whole thing. They created a whole tour to all the different cities from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to Ramallah. It was very powerful. And so he had, he created that. He put an ideal tour together and he did that both years. The second year, the U.S. pulled out literally two days before the tour was starting because of American politics or Israeli politics or whatever. But the tour still continued and we're hoping to keep bringing it back. It's just going to have to be like a self-funded event versus yeah. it being a U.S. thing. So it was, it was really, really awesome. And it created a lot of press for the U.S. consulate in Jerusalem. Really like, pro- but th- again, that was during Obama. So once all the shifts started happening. <laughs> what shift, Mona? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chaos. Oh my God. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. During the Rosie Obama years. <laughs> yeah. That sounds awesome, though. Did you get to meet other Palestinian yes. comedians or yes. Palestinian-American comedians? Yeah, Palestinian comedians, uh, Egyptian comedians, 
On both tours, uh, we've had an African-American comedian, Heather, who's really cool from Dearborn. We have a half-black, half-Iranian comedian, Tehran, who's based in L.A. We got Mo Amr, who right now is touring with Dave Chappelle. Ahmed Ahmed, who's an Egyptian comedian who's really, really well-known. He's on... He's on some TV shows and stuff. But yeah, it was really just a real vibe connection because we were, we're all have different stories, but we're all committed to like just bringing joy. I mean, the second time we came back, they were saying that there was this, this vacuum of sadness that cr- was created once we left. It was so much excitement for American comedians to come through mm-hmm. that, and then the excitement of the event. And then when we all left... It was as if the Palestinians were kind of faced with like, oh yeah, we still live in occupied Palestine. You know, we, we can watch videos, but yeah, so that's why I'm so committed to going back there regularly because there's a level of just joy and connection and just vitality that's created when you go to watch stand-up and also because they had gotten so used to, especially because of the internet and YouTube and all that stuff, they know stand-up. So I'm sure one of the questions is like, what language were you delivering these jokes in? Yeah. Well, I only had to deliver them in the same way I had been doing it here in Chicago or in Detroit or in D.C. It was this hybrid of Arabic and English because there's so many expats, American expats that live in, the, in Palestine. They're so fluent in English anyway and they've been watching stand-up anyway. But the real power was as... Um, as a community, and that's why I think we take for granted also stand-up as a, such a powerful art, is that the audience really felt they were heard because they had been watching black comics, Latino comics, white comics, blah. They had never seen a Palestinian female saying the stuff I was saying or Palestinian men or Arab men or most, you know, there was, there's just this real power of like, you guys get me yeah. kind of stuff. And then that then, you know, it also came in laughter. So having cultivating new audiences for stand-up comedy around the world is super it's powerfully healing. It is. And working, having worked with uh, Viacom and Comedy Central, Comedy Central Arabia, it's called MENA really. It's the Middle East, North Africa region. They're cultivating comedians. Like the stuff that I, the show that I was on is as a result of them literally going into a region, like going to Beirut, Lebanon, going to Egypt, going to um, Jordan, and they're creating open mics, they're creating classes, and the best of those guys get offered the opportunity to go to Dubai and perform on TV. And then they're cultivating more and more stand up comedy because, and it, I'm just seeing so much healing that's happening because remember, one of the things we also take for granted is that a comedian is one microphone. One person and their voice, their random opinion on whatever in front of masses. And in the Arab world, that can also be a dictator. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful on what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, and, and really honor the power you have of the microphone to have an impact on the audience and have them be heard and not take it for granted and just, you know, say, you know, I screw the government. Because I think there's been comedians that I work with that are banned from Egypt because they put that stuff into question. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, well, who is, it was a talk show host, right? A famous Egyptian talk show host. Yeah, Basim Yusuf. Yeah. I was on yeah. his show. Oh, were you? Yeah, when wow. he came to this, he came to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And again, remember how I said my opportunity in San Francisco came from having worked with them a year prior, and they're like, you know what, you'll love Mona. We got to bring her out. I was like, cool. And I, I don't, I didn't get paid for anything, but the opportunity, right? Yeah. And so I was on his program, and we went and interviewed people and. It was just so cool, but yes, exactly. And uh, there's another, I, I think Ahmed was actually banned from, because I, you know, again, you poke a little bit, they remove you and not let you back. And he's Egyptian. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Is that something that you're careful, like that you're consciously careful of when you're writing your set, you know, to not get too 
too close to the political edge? Well, for me, it's really about checking my motives, mm. right? For when I perform stand-up, and, and I'm, I'm doing the best I can at this, and I'm always trying to get better, but what's the motive of me you know, criticizing the government? Mm. What's my motive? Is it to make them feel bad that they live in a country that that's their government? Or should I make fun of something else over here that's actually, actually really frustrating and it's innocent enough that we can, we can collectively... I always found po po political um, humor divisive. Mm. And m since my commitment is to make, bring people together, politics, religion, sex isn't my vibe. Mm -hmm. Because instantly, as soon as you, want, you walk in and you start talking about that, you're dividing the room. Divide and conquer. I'd rather come in, and one of the first things I do when I anywhere I go is I make fun of the room. <laughs> if you make fun of the room, or I make fun of whatever I'm wearing, everyone's in the same space, right? Because they're literally in the same space, so they can make fun of whatever goofy arts on the wall or something. So I don't like doing politics. I stay away from it, not because I'm scared, but because it doesn't serve me. Were you warned about that? Like, did they give you any guidance when you were doing Palestine shows, or were they just? Like, go up there and do anything. Like, what, what kind of freedom yeah, did you have? Yeah, it's yeah. a good question. I think, I think, you know what? The only advice that we got is don't, don't pick at the U.S. politics that much. Mm -hmm. I think that's really what it was. Other than that, it's just free range. Don't be gratuitous because it is still conservative society in terms of religion and whatnot. But other than that, also in comedy, there is no um, real guidance, and if you take someone else's guidance, it may actually not serve your best voice. Because if this is your story, but your experience says, okay, don't do that. But the way her connection is and her history allows her to kind of grow within having talked about sex or female or whatever, then you're kind of limiting. By taking somebody else's advice in comedy, you're kind of limiting yourself. Yes, there is some like smart things to do. Like uh, one of, If any advice I'd give a comedian would be get there Know your venue early, Get, especially if it's like taping or something. Get to your place early. Keep an eye on the room. Pay attention to, to the staff. Who's like a, a waitress that's unhappy? Or, you know, like I give advice about how to observe and how to really command your room, but not how to, what to say and what not to say. I just, when I book comedians, if I've asked them to do a show based on what I saw and they show up and do something completely out of an alignment, what I've asked, please, you know, no gratuity or whatever it is. And they just told me to go screw myself. I was like, cool. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Here's your money. And then I just don't have them back. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then hopefully comedians learn by that. And some comedians don't. That's why we're such a goofy, <laughs> bu uh, you know, bunch of people that there is, there's no consistency. There's clickiness, but it's just all over the place. There's there's stuff for shock value. Yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah. And you see the waves. You see trends. Like, you see a lot of females right now. It's it's all about shock value. It's been like that since Sarah Silverman, then Amy Schumer. And then you can almost see that the industry doesn't create new voices. They like to bank on the consistent voices of, all right, here's a chick who's going to talk about how she's basically a, a dirty prostitute or a drunken whore. Basically, that's kind of the, the, the vibe that a lot of these women... Um, that they're, I think that they're they're using that voice to say, and to I think that's what pe they think people want to hear the shock value stuff for now, and okay. we'll see what happens as the trend moves. And, and it's so much harder, at least for me, to write stuff that doesn't have the shock value. Shock value is easy, but if you have to like stop and think about what you're going to write and how it's going to impact people, and you can't just drop f bombs right, um, right. <laughs> to to get laughs, then that's right. like I really respect comics who. Don't do that yes. because it's just smarter. Like totally. you have to be so much smarter mm -hmm. to like work around. Yeah, like that. Brian Brian Regan is 
epic. Yeah. And he never swears. Or another old guy, Jonathan Winters, he's passed, but you could give him a stick, put him on live TV for an hour, Mm -hmm. and it would be absolutely hilarious, and you would never swear. You'd never even worry that he would. And that's why Brian Regan is like Utah's number one comic. There you go. (laughs) He knows his market. He does. (laughs) You mentioned, you know, being able to, like, getting to know your venue before you perform and kind of reading the room. What were the venues like in Palestine? Banquet halls. Okay. (laughs) There was one banquet hall in this beautiful hotel in Bethlehem. It looked like it belonged in India, and I think it was an Indian architect. It was beautiful. I think it was called the Jaipur. Yes. (laughs) It's beautiful. And it was in some lower-level banquet area in the middle of the summer in Palestine. And Palestine isn't too far from the deserts, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) And there was no air conditioning. And and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. We're still, you know, come on. Like, we're still not in the West, right? I mean, come on. So it was hot, and we were like, hey, guys, (laughs) remember that one time? And I'm like, ugh. So it could be really hot. It could be, you never know, dark. But some of them, some of them were beautiful. There was a theater, another theater the second year in in Bethlehem that was just beautiful. I have some pictures of it. And I don't really remember the set. I just remember how beautiful this theater was. And it was right next to the church of nativity. So you're sitting here telling jokes. You're like, Jesus was born down, like, right next door. (laughs) You know, like, and it just ah, is the, the power of 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 being in Palestine and performing, especially someone as ethnically combined as I am. Where when I used to go as a kid to Palestine, they're like, "Hey, can you go back to tell Bush that he should stop this?" And blah. it was all this like I was never fully Palestinian, and here I don't always feel fully American. But doing stand up in Palestine, where I could use my American art and my Arab innuendos and put it together, it was like the most healing aligned I've ever felt ever. So it was such a beautiful opportunity to to do those shows there. I know yeah. I'm not talking about the venues, but the venues are no, all... no. <laughs> sometimes there was no sound. Sometimes right. you know. So do you think because um, in Chicago anybody can go into a bar on any random night, well, on a an open night mic, mm-hmm. open mic night, mm-hmm. and stand up there and do their five minutes? So I feel like comics are a dime a dozen in Chicago. Do you feel like because there isn't that like? What am I trying to say? There isn't that pool in Palestine in the Middle East that comics are more elevated? Oh, um, in terms of like, like having pre- access? Or prestige, I guess. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's, building, it's building in Dubai for sure. There's one, there's one guy I, I get to work with. He's, he's the guy. He's the guy, like, when Dave Chappelle's people come in town, they contact him. When Trevor Noah's people, they contact him. He's a great comedian. He teaches stand-up. He uh, performs for companies, and he's that guy. And he's worked his way to become that. So um, in terms of Palestine, there's, a, there's only so much access. I know that there was folks in Gaza that were trying to do some stuff online. I was trying to get, get connected with them. I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but I, there's a lot more coming up now. Yeah. I think they've been inspired. Um, to use their voice, they see the access to social media. I think the millennials of the Middle East really have a voice, and I think that laughter is a really powerful weapon. 
And I know that they're starting to use it. So don't be surprised if there's going to be like a lot more. Um, I know there's SNL for the Middle East. There's just a lot more. There's America's Got Talent where there's comedians coming out. Now, again, there was already comedy there, but it was more like a vaudevillian or like a guy that, um, you know, John Logansamo where he, he was a one man show type stuff. Mm -hmm. It was like that. It was like a guy dressed as a woman and he, you know, he'd be his wife and then he changed. There was a lot of that like play like stuff. So it's not that, uh, you know, we brought humor to the Middle East. It's more like we, we've, and, and, and this really does go to some of the guys from Access of Evil. If, I'm not familiar, if, you, if you're sure if you're familiar with. In 2006, it was an Access of Evil tour that, came, that was supported by Comedy Central. It was Ahmed Ahmed, uh, Maz Jabrani, who's Persian, um, Aaron Cater, and uh, Dean Abidallah. The, those four guys, they went to like Jordan, they went all over. And that in 2006 really did set the groundwork. That set the seed in motion so that as some of these kids are coming up now, they're like, oh, I want to do that. And, and also with YouTube and stuff. So you're going you're gonna to see a lot more there Yeah. in terms of comedy clubs. And then, yeah, they will be elevated, but it's really very raw and new right now. Wow, that's yeah. exciting. It is. It's like, really dope. You get yeah. to pave the way yeah. for comedy in the Middle East. Yeah. I mean, yeah, those, I mean, those, I mean, I'm, I think I, I, when I filmed my set with Comedy Central, I said to them afterwards, I said, listen, if there's ever any support you need, especially around the females, because knowing your power in, as a female performer, um, as a, whether it's a Muslim woman or not, is, is new because I believe in our culture, in my particular culture, we're v- and also women in general are raised not to make mistakes. We got to come out like if we're going to do something, it's got to be right. We can't like, oh, I'm going to screw up this business first and then I'll have another one. You know, just like right. kind of guys, right? <laughs> right. Right. So I think in, in, my, in our culture and we, we judge each other so much that we're so scared to say something or so scared to push the boundaries that I said, let, let me know if there's any support you need around female comedians. She's like, absolutely. They're one of the producers. And she said to me, she's like, listen, I will always put a female on stage, even if I don't think she's that funny, to give her the access, the opportunity, and also have an impact on other comedians. I'm like, that's a great, that's a commitment. That's a commitment from Viacom, from Comedy Central, and how they see females in stand-up, which is amazing. And when I was performing in Palestine, one of the things at the end of the tour, the first tour, now remember, I had been there um, so many times as as a woman, but as a female comedian, I had never done that so I asked I was like how come no one's making a big deal about the fact I'm the only female on this lineup of all eight men and I'm the only one and the other the people were like okay you're an Arab woman doing what you do like what's the problem (laughs) and I was like oh and I really healed my relationship to being an Arab woman is created on my understanding of an Arab woman from an American perspective Mm. that of limiting docile weak scared and the Arab world is like, no, you own a business. I'm the dentist. I mean, my husband works yeah. for me. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot. I don't. It, it feels like we see the Arab world as almost still old school and backward in terms of our relationship with women. When really, that's our own creation of how we see that world, and probably a whole other socioeconomic political conversation that we can have later. But yeah. it was very empowering to know yeah. that. That's so powerful to hear because I feel the same way about Latinas that grow up in the U.S. versus the ones that kind of grow up in Latin America, where it seems that here 
Some sociologists in the 1940s wrote a seminal essay about machismo in Latin America, and people decided that we never evolved past that. Mm -hmm. So I get all these like weird projections, you know, where people ask me like if my dad was really authoritarian, you know, or, or or like all these super old school things like, oh, did your mom not work because she's Peruvian? And yeah. I'm like. No, she couldn't keep a career because my dad moved around all the time. But when they first got married, she was making three times as much as my dad. And my dad was okay with that, yeah, you know? Right, right. Um, and I've always found that dichotomy really interesting because I see it sometimes internalized by Latinas who grow up here. Yes. Where it's like, oh, you know our culture where, like, you know, we're supposed to be either, like, super sultry or where we're supposed to be, like, these docile homemakers. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about because right. that's not what I grew up with. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I completely agree. And it's good to know that I'm not alone in that. Like, right. I almost was just, like, was, like, shocked. How could I have, how could I have thought myself to be this? And it's it's really just some of those, you know, we, as in the States, we we also have this old school Calvinist rude so it makes sense that we saw it in this kind of in this way not in power or they think of us arab women get it and latino women get it that we're oh we're crazy we're feisty we're oh, dangerous yeah. because you know you never want to tame one of them it's like really no no <laughs> yeah it's so weird it's like we're either absolutely quiet submissive yes. like almost in a borderline abusive relationship with yes. the men in our lives or it's like Bitches be crazy. Yeah. They're always yelling and talking with their hands. I'm like, well, sometimes they deserve it. But beyond that, you know, it's, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. yeah, that that it's like it's it's two competing identities that are thrusted upon us, right. but with no nuance in the middle. Right. Yeah. Right. Untamable Mustangs. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, let's. I want to kind of talk a little bit more about that um, because. In a way, I think even here, when you tell people that you as a woman traveled like alone in the Middle East, I, I mean, what were the reactions that people say like, oh, was that difficult? How could you do that? Or I think when, when I, uh, yeah, when I traveled to Palestine, even just as a young kid or to do tours, it's like, oh my God, be safe. Yeah. And really, one of the things, it's the same when you tell someone, oh, I live in Chicago. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. No. Like, there's one pew, pew all the time. Like, ah, oh, chill, all right? <laughs> not everyone. You're not getting shot at. Because you're not going to go jogging on the west side with earbuds at midnight. Okay, you know, yeah. like. But, yeah, everyone did think, it, like, oh, you know, be, be careful. Everything. Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm a Chicagoan. Like, yeah. <laughs> one of the things I have to say, I really have taken on, and I kind of like it. I wear like a Chicago flag and, it's, <laughs> and I'm sure it's my own creation of what it is to be a Chicago. And we're like a lovable asshole. Like there's like, <laughs> there's this combo play of like, like I don't, I don't meet a lot of, um, not awesome people from Chicago, honestly. And wherever I go in the world, comedy or not, when I get introduced, like, oh, she's from Chicago and there's instant respect. Mm -hmm. So I've lived into it. And yeah. if I'm like, oh, are you nervous about going to Palestine? I'm like, nah, man, it's my day. It's my day. I mean, I was, I was on the <laughs> West side yesterday. I'm fine. I'm on the, I go to my, I go to the South side all the time, you know, to get chicken or whatever it is. Like, <laughs> I, like this is, it's, I really, I don't. And as soon as somebody says that, I call them out fast. I'm like, all right, all right. I want to 
change their idea. I mean, yeah, there's inconveniences, right? Mm -hmm. It's it stinks when you know you have to go, for instance, to the Israeli airport, the Tel Aviv airport. You've got to give yourself six hours to seven hours in advance because you never know what shenanigans they're going to need to go through and like I don't know, look at every single part of every single thing you've ever had on your iPhone. Mm -hmm. You never know what they're going to do. So giving yourself time and understanding the patience of traveling in the Arab world that's one thing, but. I don't know. I just kind of, like I said, that, that's how I've traveled the world. If it's my day, it's my day. I mean, I lived in Southern Africa. If it's my right. day, it's my day. Right? <laughs> so I went to Dubai for business a few times, and then I went to Jordan afterwards, and people were like, the same thing, like, oh my gosh, you're going to get blown up in a hotel. Yeah. See? And I was like, no. No, no I'm not going to be on a nice tour. <laughs> and why would Jordan jeopardize their tourism dollars? Oh, that's, see, right. that's a big deal. People it's, forget about that. Especially like... Not to be blunt, but like blonde white American gets blown up, like they're screwed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and and it was awesome. And like back to your point about women doing awesome things, all the women, um, all the people at the the museum in Jordan where the Dead Sea Scrolls are, are women. Like uh... from management down, and that like really resonated with me because I was like, I had the same impression that they were like, don't walk. Don't walk the streets by yourself. Yeah. It's all men. They're going to yeah. cat call you. They're going to be so aggressive. And I didn't find any of that. Mm -hmm. And I saw ladies out on the streets. And I was like, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. You're supposed to be at home. But like, <laughs> that's not how yeah. it is. The, the biggest problem we had was I was with my little tour group. And we were driving out of, um, I want to say Damascus, but that's in Syria. What's the capital of Jordan? Um, Amman. Yeah, we were in Amman, and they were like, that's the American embassy. Don't take pictures. Don't get out and walk around it. Like, just don't look at it. Like, turn your heads the other way. And I was like, mm, you know, of course the Americans would go in, and and that was our biggest fear. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. And, it's, yeah. and what, like, the, the internationally, I feel like Americans are kind of becoming Israelis. And, t and being so scared of some, we're creating more fear. Yes. We're actually creating. And then, you know, whatever you create or whatever you manifest in your mind ends up showing up right there, right? If you're worried your man's cheating on you, then he's going to start cheating on right. you. Right. <laughs> so, like, if we're creating this level of, like, oh, oh, oh. I mean, that's, there's, like, for instance, the El Al, the Israeli uh, plane in Chicago, it's the only plane that's off to the side with, with armed guards. It's like, hey, how about just tone it down? How about then you don't have flights, all right, if you're that scared? You just chill Just, like, bit. chill. Just chill. But into the point of like protecting tourism, that's what I noticed in the favelas of Brazil. The favelas oh. are cool. Everything's fine. Why? Because they got to maintain their drug trade. All right. That's it. We don't want fighting because people can't come in and get their stuff and go out. And the, any of there are very few times that there are any fightings within the favelas. They want to squelch it fast because it's affecting business. Like you said, affecting business. So, right. It's like yeah. Chicago too. Like I'm not going to go make a drug deal on a corner <laughs> where I can be targeted by someone <laughs> in a drive-by. Like right. I'm okay. Right. <laughs> well, I remember a couple of years ago when I went to Guatemala, it was also all these warnings, you know, about how uh, it's super violent, how cartels are everywhere. You know, I mean, Guatemala is one of the countries that's kind of sending the most like child, child refugees yeah, right now. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to downplay the fact that they have problems. But on the other hand, it's more like if you are part of a cartel, worry. Yeah. If you're just hanging out, yeah. no one like gives a crap that yeah, you're yeah. there. Like yeah, you're yeah. just able to kind of move around fine, right. you know. Or be smart about how you navigate. Yeah. Exactly. Don't look at your phone. Like there's a there's a, I mean I, I'm sure you guys have had episodes about how to s travel smart. 
like again, like don't be down here looking down your phone or head buds. If if you're walking around, just pay attention to your surroundings. I was once I was in Namibia <laughs> and I was on my bike and I noticed these three guys walking at me. I'm like, okay, I'm cool. And I look right in their <laughs> eyes, I'm good. We're good. Yeah. And then they came to try to take my bike. I'm like, no. And they're like, all right, never mind. And <laughs> I was like, that was the laziest robbery ever. And I was like, uh. And I was going uphill on my bike. I was already kind of exhausted. I'm like, oh man, thanks. Yeah. That reminds me. My best friend in Argentina was once walking out of her university, and she was talking on the phone when mm-hmm. the when this guy like tried to snatch it out of her hand, and she literally turned around and went like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no. And the guy's like. I know. <laughs> just like and it was just like her immediate reaction. She for sure thought that he was going to take it away. Like, that's it. My phone is gone. But that was enough for him to just be like, oh, she's going to cause trouble. Right. <laughs> like, I'm out. Yeah. It can be as simple as putting your head up. Like, they say when somebody yes. is walking behind you, you turn around and look them in the eye. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Things like that. But... This was just something that I remember. So I went to Israel a couple of years ago, and we did go to Palestine mostly to see like the the, the Church of the Nativity and all those other yeah. Jesus-like things. But one thing that stood out from that trip is that me crossing into Palestine as a Peruvian passport holder was very easy, simple, friendly, whatever, especially compared to me going back to the States as a green card resident wow. passport holder where they actually took me away, put me in a little room to question me because they never explained why. They never explained why. They don't. You can ask them and they'll be like, ma'am, you just have to come with us or whatever. And it's something that stuck out where it's like people are so afraid of going to places like Palestine, thinking that it's going to be some like insane high stake situation when really a lot of times I'm mostly scared to come back to the airport in the U.S. Yes. because you have no idea what how the hell they're right, going to treat right. you. Your own home treats yeah, you Yeah, you know, it tends to be terrible. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Unpredictable. And, and unpredictable. And the part that always bothered me the most is them not just giving you the courtesy of saying, we have to look more into you because of this. I get that maybe for security reasons they can't say everything, but even yeah. as simple as saying, like, unfortunately in our computer something has shown up just yeah. give us a couple of minutes yeah, yeah, instead yeah. they're just silent and you have no idea what yeah. they're gonna try to pin yeah, on yeah. you so yay yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about your comedy central in dubai and your yes. general impressions of dubai do you know what you know what dubai is dubai and i and i figured it out when i was listening to people at dubai just saying stuff in my face. <laughs> They're like, Muna, guess what? This is the tallest building in the whole world. I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. Right? I'm from Chicago. <laughs> They're like, Muna, Muna, come here. I want you to see the, the brand new Ferris wheel we're making. This one is coming out summer 2018. I was like, word, word. I'm like, Let's, how about we tone this down, okay? <laughs> you guys are Chicago at the end of the 1800s, all right? <laughs> Let's just chill down. And that's really what it feels like. They're Chicago at the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, where this was the city of the century. We were doing, I mean, we were doing things that we shouldn't be doing. We were like, oh, you know what? We need a sewer system, or we're going to do this and that. And we had a Ferris wheel. And then I'm like, I'm like, who's riding Ferris wheels anyway? It takes an hour to get around that thing, okay? <laughs> Nobody cares about a Ferris wheel. The fact that they're working so hard to build it is, is just, it's all, it's all ego. Or it's all flash. Or it's like, oh, you know, we've got these, we've got British managers, we've got German engineers, we've got Arab money, and we've got um, Pakistani and Sri Lankan labor, Indian labor. So let's do something with it. And I, and I get the innovative idea of the... Of the um, the emir, the basically the guy who kind of, basically the president, the king area, 
uh, I get his vision. Um, but some of it for me, I'm an opinionated Chicago and I'm like, just chill. Like where they're injecting, they're injecting liquid basically into the cloud so that there's more rain. Right. Yes. Then you have the islands right? you've seen all the, yes. the, the, so the stuff that they're doing is I, they're trying to be innovative and I get it. I mean, I, I, I totally get it, but it seems, it seems excessive. And as a Chicagoan, I'm like, all right, but are, are you serving a purpose? Are these, cause like when you look at, you know, when you look at new Dubai versus old Dubai, old Dubai is beautiful. Old Dubai looks like an old Arab, you know, city, new Dubai, because there's no consistency in the urban planning, which affects me, right? Cause my, my history in urban planning, there's no homogeneity there. there is that the right word or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> the buildings look so different. Yeah. That's like, for instance, like you go to Pullman in Chicago, you can, you know, that's, that's Pullman because of the, uh, the buildings have the same, the, the maroon color and the green awning. Like you can tell Chicago architecture. You can tell that there was a consistent plan of action here. There, it's just like, I've got a lot of money. Let's build building. Okay. No problem. I want more building dollars than this one. I want to look at like this. It's like, Dude, like you can tell, like Kuwait has the same issue where you're driving by and you see the houses and you can tell, all right, that guy was obviously Swedish because look at that house. <laughs> that guy is from like the Black Forest in Germany. This guy is American. Clearly, like you can tell by the house, the architecture, there's no consistency. It kind of just looks like, it looks like a bunch of people are all playing Sims mm-hmm. on the same game, but not talking to each other. So it's just kind of blah. That's my opinion. And it's, it's tiny. Like if yeah. you, I remember looking out the window as I was flying away and just like you can see the whole city from the yes, airport, yes, you can. which is so weird to me. And it's just like over the top for being for the sake of being over the top. Bingo. Um, just yeah, like for, Bingo. for example, brunch. So you have <laughs> brunch in Dubai. I have friends who are expats there. Yeah, and so we went to brunch, and brunch is a big deal. And it was like a whole mishmash of stuff. Like it was all you can drink, and we got there at like eleven, and so we had like. The first course was Cornish pasties. The next course was sushi. See? The next course what I'm talking about. was Argentine steak. And you're like, hey, who is who's eating all this? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm getting I'm gonna get sick. Right? <laughs> um, and then it turned into like bar games, but not just like bar games like Jenga, like like giant Jenga and deluxe beer pong. Right. And, and then it turned into a club. And so I was yes! <laughs> I love it. So I was at brunch from like eleven AM to three AM the next day. And I was like at Whoa! one point I stood around and was like, What the hell just happened? Like, cause <laughs> yeah. you don't move either, so it messes with your sense of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and your digestion. And your digestion. <laughs> Is it like a casino where the lights are also at a weird level so you have no idea what no, time no, no. of the day it you is? you start outside. Oh. You eat brunch outside and then you go inside for like <laughs> oh my gosh. And then you go out on the AstroTurf lawn once the DJ sets up. Oh my god. That's and, like, if you're going to be, if you're going to be held hostage, that's like the way to do it. Yeah. Then, <laughs> and then in the background there are people skydiving. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's just, yeah, there's no, so, there's, it's all over the place. It's so, it's the weirdest place ever. Like, And one of the things that they're like, uh, I just wanted Man, I was so happy to be so close to India. I'm like, oh, I want some Indian food, right? And I was staying at the Marriott, which is the tallest Marriott in the whole world. I'm like, all right. 
They're like, um, do you want you want to go to the Indian restaurant? I'm like, yeah. They're like, okay, it's the five star restaurant. I'm like, I just want a samosa. This is the best samosa in the whole world. I'm like, dude, can we just tone it down? Do you want coffee? Best coffee in the whole. I'm, I'm like, you know what? How about we tone it? I'm gonna cross the street. There was a Seven Eleven. I was like, yes, I got my samosa. I got the coffee I wanted, and it was classic. Just a Seven Eleven. That's all right. I wanted. Because you know that's where all the Indian workers who built Dubai are going. Thank you. Samosas. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So. What I got from this is that <laughs> Dubai is extra. Like, yeah, yeah. like super extra. extra. Super extra. Gold bar, like ATMs dispensing gold bars in hotels. Yeah. And hotels that charge you to go, like, look in the lobby, like, to hang out in yeah. the lobby. And everybody there, I found, is super, like, hey, it's such a weird mix of people, and they're all super shady. Like, <laughs> I was there for a dental show, and I there's a temp worker, and his mom... I think his mom was Egyptian, his dad was Saudi, his grandfather was a Lebanese Pasha, <laughs> but he was also Spanish. And I was and like, I was like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I'm a filmmaker. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. But with that being said, performing for them was so powerful because to me, it was really it was the diversity I was raised with. It was the diversity I like to connect with in Chicago. Like my show that I run at the Diversity Bowl, Diverse, mm-hmm. Diversity Bowl. Like I love diversity. My lineups are always diverse. My audiences are diverse. So standing in, in, in Dubai performing for folks that worked with the British government, those that, this guy was Swedish, an engineer. It was literally the UN. It yes. was this. It felt like I was on the moon with all this. Mm-hmm. So that for me, I could I could bob and weave with my jokes, make, using my German accent. You know, my experience living in, the, in in Africa or whatever. Like it really did resonate powerfully from like my heart, being able to connect on such a global scale and make a global audience laugh. So it, I, that was the best part about performing in Dubai is really getting a sense of like I gotta come back here because that's an audience yeah right. it's so weird what is it like 8% of the people that live in Dubai are actually Emirati right right and everybody else is expats who've been brought in to like build things and launder money well, that's what I, I'm like you guys be careful with your your spending yeah like, <laughs> like you know like you go to the gym and you got one trainer and there's a bunch of us that are all you're yelling at us like hey man there's one of you there's a bunch of us how about that and we're strong now so how about you know easy with the dumbbells you know it's kind of like that with with twice like you, you want eight percent we could take over a little bit yeah, yeah yeah and it's and when shit goes south all those expats are so quick to leave like in mm. 2008 after the market crashed, people drove to the airport in their BMWs, left the keys in the ignition, and fled the country. Wow. So, oh, um, my God. Yeah. So, and then I, um, I went in, I think, 2008 and, gosh, a couple years ago. And the difference, like, 2008, there were all these holes in the ground where buildings were supposed to go up, and they oh. had just been abandoned. Yeah. Um, and it's weird to me that such a tiny, tiny emirate has such power like, think of all the, like, Indian construction workers yeah. that that affected. Like, all of a sudden, yeah. they're cut off. And just, like, humanitarian issues. And I Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they have, like, the most cranes in this, in one city, I think. Yeah. Or one country, rather. The most cranes. I was like, wow. Well. Yeah. And there's a lot, there's also a lot of deaths on, on the, the constructing of those buildings. Yeah. So, that's the other thing. But yeah. Deaths. 
I mean, is there are there even enough people to fill those buildings, or that's not the point of building all these buildings? I don't think that's the point. No, because yeah, because because a lot of it's mixed use. Like you have residential yeah. with like you know. So I think, but you know, you can get a hotel, a, a, like a kind of like a hotel room type apartment, and you really live in Russia, and it's just your your Dubai apartment. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, the the people the people that live there were cool. The energy of like we're the best in the world is kind of like eh, but it, the audience was so worth it, and yeah. I would go in a heartbeat. So if Dubai right now, the secret police are listening, I love you, and I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> if I've criticized you at all. Right, it, it is a crazy place. Like I don't know, I don't think I ever met an Emirati. I think I just met like you said, like Germans and mm-hmm. British people and people from Asia. So yeah, yeah, it's weird. How did you choose your set? For that specific audience? That's a good question. When I was asked to come and I said, yeah, that was it. So knowing that it was going to be on TV, I was like, all right, I want my best stuff. Wondering how, and it was a, this really was a journey figuring out how to do the two different seven minute sets. Mm -hmm. Uh, I contacted two booker manager comedian powerhouses here in Chicago. uh, One by the name of Mary Lindsay, who owned and ran All Jokes Aside and Jokes and Notes. Mm -hmm. She now is working back and forth between LA, a lot of of really powerful comedians she manages, like Lil Rel and Dion Cole. I contacted her, and I contacted Bert Haas from Zanies. And I said, you work with comedians that perform on television. I'm going to be performing on television in in the Arab world. I need some advice. And both of them, both of them said, just do your best stuff. I said, do I need to change punchlines for TV or anything? She's like, they said, no, it's going to come off that you've changed it. Just do you and be powerful about it. I was like, word. Okay, cool. Then the next part was I contacted my best friend. My best friend in like, he's almost like my soulmate. And he's because he's Israeli, American Israeli, raised in Australia. And we've just, we've had a very powerful connection. And every time I have a intense situation, like when I was in Palestine, my second tour, my first show, I bombed. I, well, I didn't bomb. I just didn't do the way I, I know I can. And I, and he called me and he always contacted me right when my soul needed something. Always whether it's a breakup, whatever it is. He was the person I'm like, listen, I'm going to Dubai. I'm like, I can, I know. I'm like, what do you mean you know? I'm like, I know. I'm like, oh. So I said, all right, I want to work on my two sets. He's like, cool. And he, and he knows all my jokes. He used to help me edit stuff. So he's like, you need to do this one, this one, and this one. That'll be great. And then this one, this one, this one. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, no, 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 that's what they need to hear. And I was like, okay. He's like, listen, I want you to create it for me. So the day of the show and the day before, I was in a Dubai Air hotel on the phone with my, and I'm Palestinian, right? With my Israeli friend <laughs> that's in Colorado, <laughs> Skyping, delivering my jokes. Because he's a, also a director. So he's like, nope, do it again. And so that's one of the things, like, all right, I got myself, I got myself out of my head. And a lot of comedians, all our jokes are here, right? And we're like, no, it's going to be fine. But once it comes out, I felt more fluid and felt more safe. And so then I was ready to, to rock and roll. Yeah. Wow. wow. And, and I was the first comedian on the lineup, and I was the last comedian on the lineup. Because they were doing two separate filmings, and I had to go change. Mm-hmm. So that I could be on two different episodes. So I knew I had to come out powerful. I had to kill. I had, especially since I was the only woman on the show, right? Yeah. yeah. I had to murder. And I'm from Chicago. So to me, like, like you, you can't be a bad comedian coming from Chicago. I know you were saying earlier that we're a dime a dozen here. We're also like, we're also the, the, the real like breeding ground of good comedians come out of Chicago. Yes. The thing is they don't stay. And that's what, that's why I really work hard on producing stuff here, being based here. Mm-hmm. There's much stuff as I can support comedians here. But when I, when they introduced me, all right, she's from Chicago. When I was in London, she, she's from Chicago. She better not suck. 
you know, like, and I don't. And, and that's really, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that, uh, that yeah. was able to kind of go through this process. And also, and I had to sign away my jokes. That was the coolest <laughs> thing. Cause I have this one joke I love so much and I had to literally sign it away to Viacom. And I was like, that's awesome. Whoa. <laughs> that's awesome. So what does that mean that you can't perform it anywhere else? Never now? again on TV. <gasps> Holy cow. Oh, on TV. Yeah. Okay. Never again on TV. And if I Think about doing it on TV. It has to be set up in a totally different way. Like, you know, one time I was dreaming, what if, and then I do the joke, not the joke. Right. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that pretty common? I wish it was. You know why? Because I have seen a lot of recorded material by professional multimillionaire comedians that have done the same jokes in other recordings. So I wish it was more, but I don't, again, a comedian works so hard on the joke, works so hard. It's not like a singer. No, I can't even say that. Well, it is kind of like singers can say their songs over and over again. When you see Rolling Stone, you want to see their greatest. When you see, um, I don't know, Dave Chappelle, you don't want to hear his greatest. Right. Do you? You don't. No, because like, the element of surprise, right? But to be able to, to really legally have to give away your stuff, it forces you to make more. Not rely on the crush that once was. So that's why I was grateful to sign that stuff away. I'm like, good, this is going to force me to make more. Because I'm the source. Wow. I'm the Tesla, right? I'm the, I'm the source. Take whatever you want, but I'm the source. It's kind of your Phoenix moment. Yeah. yeah. Like, burn yeah. this shit down and, and build again. Yes, and that's what's been happening. That's what really, that's the evolution I've been going through. Uh, it's probably since, man, some of it since May, but really, since I signed that off, I'm like, all right, here we go, baby. Let's go. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and at the end, this is something that was so powerful for me, is at the end of the recording, we were all socializing, and I was thanking the producers. I said, I just want you to know you made, you made a dream come true in a bigger, bolder way than ever. And thank you so much for honoring me, and I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And she said, listen, you, you were epic. You were the best female we've ever seen, one of the best comedians we've ever seen on the show, ever. I was like, thank you. She's like, listen, when we go to our half-hour format, we're giving you a half-hour special. So October 2018, expect a half-hour special. What? I was like, word? She's like, oh yeah, now you're listening. I was like, I'm like, and then I was like, yes. I'm like, because I got to go create all new material because I gave you guys some of it. They're like, yeah, go. And I was like, (laughs) and that was basically, that's been my commitment since I got back from Dubai, I was like, yo, and to all my kind of like my production team, the people that I work with from my family, I'm like, yo, it's on. Opportunities, open mics. And so like I, I took on my own, I, I run an open mic now in Chicago. I mean, I kind of already was, but I really have been focusing on cultivating material for, and, and just constantly writing and like testing and calling and making, cause I'm still trying to figure out my process. I mean, I've been doing this since what, 2010. And I still am really trying to fi- find my, like my groove of how to, how to, how to write a joke where I'm able to generate that, that golden thing that I had to sign away. And that golden thing that signed away, it, it just showed up once when I was about to do a competition and the pressure and I'm like, Oh, and then I did this joke and I love it. Every time I tell the joke, I love it. That's awesome because I don't think uh, people don't realize comedians, good comedians, make it look so easy to tell a joke. And I don't think people who don't write jokes realize all the the work that went in just to creating that like that throwaway or right. what like what looks like a throwaway, right? Or yeah. the pressure we put on ourselves that it it's going to take more work than what we're actually naturally good at. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Question: mm-hmm. You've lived in a lot of places from what I gather, and you've traveled in a lot of places. Is there any place that stands out where you're like, that country has a great sense of humor? Huh. 
that country has a great sense of humor. I do like, I do like the UK sense mm. of sarcasm. Yes, yes. So I like that. But if you're gonna say, my fa- man, my favorite city to to connect with people and make them laugh anywhere in the world, and I've been in a lot of places, not everywhere, but in a lot of places, is Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. Wow. Like I was literally, I went to go buy some stuff for hookah and, <laughs> and instantly like I, I walked in and, and the, the clerk just scared me cause I didn't see him there. And he, he's like, uh, and then we just had this rapport where we were literally within 30 seconds making each other laugh. And I'm like, I don't even remember why I came in here. And it just, <laughs> there's just, there's, um, there's a sense of like in Chicago, you can walk down the street and be like, hello, and, and hello, right? You get the hello back. Or you could ignore them and it's not that big of a deal, right? You could, um, I, man, I've messed with people just as clerks. And, and maybe it's what I'm generating off mm-hmm. that I, I love that it, our life is like right now, not later, right. not when you get off work. Right. And I try to connect like, Hey, how's your day going? And then we giggle or what's the best, what's the craziest client you've ever seen or just create engagement and Chicagoans love to engage. Right. Whereas there's a lot of other cities are kind of reserved. Like mm-hmm. the UK, they're much more reserved until they're safe. I lived in Germany. Germans will be your best friends for life, but they've first got to trust you. Mm-hmm. And that took me a while for them to, to get them to trust me when I was living there. But in, I really love Chicago. And maybe it's because I am like, you know how I'm creating you, creating me, creating you. I think mm-hmm. you're awesome because you say I'm awesome. Cause you know what I'm saying? That awesome symbiotic relationship. Maybe that's why I love Chicago yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk to anybody. <laughs> we will. I love it. We will. I we really love it. Will. And my friends in other places kind of get embarrassed because I do that in other places and they're like, we don't do yeah. that here. And I'm like, why not? Right. 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 <laughs> also, Chicago is the biggest small town. Yes. So it really many is. times you meet somebody like, oh my God, I went. Especially, were you born in Peru? I was born in Switzerland. Oh, see? Yeah. Okay. But I have very few, I have like zero memory of my time in Switzerland. Have you ever met somebody? in Chicago that you knew or met in a different country or a different city? You're like, I can't believe, how did you, or they were related to somebody that you knew? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that happens a lot in Chicago, that I'll find somebody that knows someone that's connected to somebody. Like, I, today, yesterday, I was at Birbiani, which is in Lincoln Square. It's this Greek restaurant owned by Palestinian where you go get sal- do salsa dancing, all right? It's, the, it's classic. <laughs> that's, that's the place I love, that hybrid of diversity. <laughs> and um, the owner's like, hey, Mona, I'm like, Hi. I don't, I don't really know him. He's like, hi, I'm Anas. I know a lot about you. I'm like, how? Hey. He's like, no, I've seen you on social media and you're this and you're that. You know, like, I just really want to say con- congratulations and I'm, thank you so much for representing powerful Palestinian women. I'm like, I'm like, well, stop. Like, he, had, <laughs> he, he had known and connected so many other yeah. people and also social media makes Chicago even smaller. Yes. You know, like I went to an event yesterday as well for this, this salon opening and four of the women, four separate women are like, I know your face. No, no, no. I don't know your face. I know your hair. Because at the salon, they had been posting pictures of me with my hair and all my different headshots so that the women recognize me from my hair. So, you know, this, I love the city. Yeah. <laughs> and on, like compared to other big cities, Chicago in a way is also a small town because it can get really goofy. Like when hot dugs closed and there oh, was yes. that like epic line and people were getting engaged, a band like set <laughs> up. Like, I don't know what happened in those 24 hours, but it honestly felt like a Gilmore Girls episode and like Wacky Stars Hollow, yes. except you're in like a freaking big city. You're right. right. You're yeah. right. Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. Or like, remember when the Cubs won? Everyone was stranded somewhere everywhere. Yeah. In cars and honking yeah. and it's like, oh. <laughs> and then, then like, um, uh, like going to the, did you guys go to the parade or anything with downtown? Yes. When they, uh-huh. I biked down there and so I, but I biked parallel 
parallel to the to the, the to the parade route and I got to see families with their kids and old people like there's just this sense of like this is us like this is our yeah. this is our these are our people and it was oh man for all that time during the playoffs this was the best every time I performed on the black on the south side right in, the, in neighborhoods that are are pro socks right mm-hmm. all of these guys were coming out with all their cubs gear i'm like i've never seen you get jordans in that color okay yeah. you know you got those jordans just because it matches the cubs uniform that you just bought yesterday you know it was really <laughs> it was good to see it was really cool to see us all kind of come together when are your comedy central specials coming out how can people see them okay. so i don't know yet and i'm really trying to f- figure that out and how to like share it how to you know get create engagement uh, if anything, I'd say follow Comedy Central Arabia on social media because they are like doing a great job and they're so good at high, like having posts in English and Arabic. Everything okay. they do is, is bilingual, so it's awesome. That I don't know, but I'll I'll share that. Um, if you have any more questions <laughs> <laughs> no yeah we can definitely post the link to it and also where where can people find you where can they follow you so um, my website is monacomedy.com that has all my social media links I'm really engaged in Instagram and I think it's because I just like pictures I like pictures I like uh, seeing funny stuff inspirational stuff I feel like on Instagram, they're a little bit more positive. Yes. Right? Than all the other social media. So I just like it. Snapchat, I'm trying to teach myself how to do it, but I kind of <laughs> don't see the investment quality really. And it's just like, are you here? Am I here? It just feels like people are watching me, but I'm not sure. You know, like I just yeah. I feel paranoid and I'm still trying to learn it. And Facebook, you know, so uh, Snap, I'm Mona Bologna. On, on Instagram, I'm Mona's Picks, M-O-N-A-S-P-I-X. Facebook, it's Mona Abermashan, or if you go to my Mona comedy, you can find all of it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mona, for coming here. Uh, This was awesome. As for you listeners, if you like this episode and want to hear more, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, where we try to be positive, at XXWillTravel, and Twitter, XXWillTravel as well. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter by going to the website xxwilltravel.com. And I think that's all for now. Yes. Yeah. Go forth and travel. 